Welcome to Old Treasures Made New, your devotional podcast on the go or at home, where we read the scriptures and reflect on them with those from the past. Today we're reading Mark 10, 35-45, and then through J.C. Ryle's expository thoughts on Mark. Please take a moment to pause and to ask the Holy Spirit to bring understanding and to apply what we hear. Mark, chapter 10, verses 35-45. to 45. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us a sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Let us mark in this passage the ignorance of our Lord's disciples. We find James and John petitioning for the first places in the kingdom of glory. We find them confidently declaring their ability to drink their master's cup and be baptized with their master's baptism. In spite of all the plain warnings of our Lord, they clung obstinately to the belief that Christ's kingdom on earth was immediately going to appear. Notwithstanding their many shortcomings in Christ's service, they had no misgivings as to their power to endure anything which might come upon them. With all their faith and grace and love to Jesus, They neither knew their own hearts nor the nature of the path before them. They still dreamed of temporal crowns and earthly rewards. They still knew not what manner of men they were. There are few true Christians who do not resemble James and John when they first begin the service of Christ. We are apt to expect far more present enjoyment from our religion than the gospel warrants us to expect. We are apt to forget the cross and the tribulation and to think only of the crown. We form an incorrect estimate of our own fortitude and power of endurance. We misjudge our own ability to stand temptation and trial. And the result of all is that we often buy wisdom dearly by bitter experience, after many disappointments and not a few falls. Let the case before us teach us the importance of a solid and calm judgment in our religion. Like James and John, We are right in coveting the best gifts and in telling all our desires to Christ. Like them, we are right in believing that Jesus is King of kings and will one day reign upon the earth. But let us not, like them, forget that there is a cross to be borne by every Christian, and that through much tribulation we must enter into the kingdom of God. Acts 14.22 Let us not, like them, be overconfident in our own strength and forward in professing that we can do anything that Christ requires. Let us, in short, beware of a boastful spirit 
when we first begin to run the Christian course. If we remember this, it may save us from many humbling falls. Let us mark, secondly, in this passage, what praise our Lord bestows on lowliness and devotion to the good of others. It seems that the ten were much displeased with James and John because of the petition which they made to their master. Their ambition and love of preeminence were once more excited at the idea of anyone being placed above themselves. Our Lord saw their feelings and, like a wise physician, proceeded at once to supply a corrective medicine. He tells them that their ideas of greatness were built on a mistaken foundation. He repeats with renewed emphasis the lesson already laid down in the preceding chapter. Whoever of you will be the chief shall be servant of all. And he backs up all by the overwhelming argument of his own example. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Let all who desire to please Christ watch and pray against self-esteem. It is a feeling which is deeply rooted in our hearts. Thousands have come out from the world, taken up the cross, professed to forsake their own righteousness and believe in Christ, who have felt irritated and annoyed when a brother has been more honored than themselves. These things ought not to be so. We ought often to ponder the words of Paul, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Philippians 2.3 Blessed is that man who can sincerely and gladly rejoice when others are exalted, though he himself is overlooked and passed by. Above all, let all who desire to walk in Christ's steps labor to be useful to others. Let them lay aside out to do good in their day and generation. There is always a vast field for doing it, if men have the will and inclination. Let them never forget that true greatness does not consist in being an admiral or a general or a statesman or an artist. It consists in devoting ourselves, body and soul and spirit, to the blessed work of making our fellow men more holy and more happy. It is those who exert themselves by the use of Scripture to lessen the sorrow and increase the joy of all around them, the Howards, the Wilberforces, the Martins, the Judsons of a country, who are truly great in the sight of God. While they live, they are laughed at, mocked, ridiculed, and often persecuted. But their memorial is on high. Their names are written in heaven. Their praise endures forever. Let us remember these things, and while we have time, do good unto all men, and be servants of all for Christ's sake. Let us strive to leave the world better, holier, and happier than it was when we were born. A life spent in this way is truly Christ-like and brings its own reward. Let us mark, lastly, in this passage, the language which our Lord uses in speaking of his own death. He says, The Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. This is one of those expressions which ought to be carefully treasured up in the minds of all true Christians. It is one of the texts which prove incontrovertibly the atoning character of Christ's death. That death was no common death, like the death of a martyr or of other holy men. It was the public payment by an almighty representative of the debts of sinful man to a holy God. It was the ransom which a divine surety undertook to provide in order to procure liberty for sinners, tied and bound by the chain of their sins. By that death, 
Jesus made a full and complete satisfaction for man's countless transgressions. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. When he died, he died for us. When he suffered, he suffered in our stead. When he hung on the cross, he hung there as our substitute. When his blood flowed, it was the price of our souls. Let all who trust in Christ take comfort in the thought that they build on a sure foundation. It is true that we are sinners, but Christ has borne our sins. It is true that we are poor, helpless debtors, but Christ has paid our debts. It is true that we deserve to be shut up forever in the prison of hell, but thanks be to God, Christ has paid a full and complete ransom for us. The door is wide open. The prisoners may go free. May we all know this privilege by heartfelt experience and walk in the blessed liberty of the children of God. That is the end of Rao's expository thoughts for these verses. Let us carefully consider what we have heard today, and may the Lord be pleased to bring the growth for His glory. In considering what we've just heard, would you prayerfully ask yourself and others the following questions? First, are we regularly, even daily aware of the truth? Be careful if you think you stand, lest you fall. It is only when we walk humbly with God that we will be kept from many falls. Second, do we watch and pray against self-esteem? Can we rejoice when a brother or sister is honored and we are not? Or do we envy their attention? Third, do we simply agree with this teaching that we are called to be servants of all? Or is there evidence that we believe it? Are we giving ourselves body, mind, and soul to make those around us holy and happy? And fourth, do we believe that Christ has paid our debt in our place on the cross? Does this truth give us joy and cause us to serve others as we have been served.